we do what, what we call chicken enrichment nightly with them because <laughs> I hate the idea of living my life in a steel bucket with sandpaper at the bottom of it. Sandpaper? Huh? Sandpaper. Well, the, I mean, it's basically sand and ground bits of cedar and and my own feces. <laughs> oh, my God. It's important that they get a little bit of enrichment time. And so we take them out and we make them play in the Barbie castle. And we have a good time. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's, I mean, okay. Yeah, what else do you do with chickens? This episode of It Will Probably Be Okay was recorded like forever ago. Probably May 2020. Just enjoy it. Welcome to It'll Probably Be Okay, a podcast where a storyteller, a genius, and a buffoon take turns sharing their experiences with each other. Hi, I'm Nick Honick, a person who is currently drinking rye whiskey. Hi, I'm Nick Kenji. Uh, I'm a human and I do digital marketing. And my name is Gabe Wollenberg. I am very tired. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, guys. So let's get started. Do either of you have any mini topics you want to jump into? I indeed have a mini topic that I'd like to jump into. It's about LinkedIn and how useless it is. I use Twitter so that I can tweet at brands specifically, especially when I have an issue or I hate them. And for me, last week, I, I was talking about MailChimp and how their email system, when you try to set anchors when you're editing, I think I think it's called Mail Kemp. <laughs> so I did this. I said this on Twitter, and then two days later, I got this message in my LinkedIn from somebody who does email marketing, and they were like, "Yeah, I saw you mention that you were having issues with Mailchimp, and I was." Wondering whether or not you, you know, like a pitch. And I'm like, well, first off, you asshole. I wasn't having issues with MailChimp. It wasn't me. It's MailChimp. And two, (laughs) how the fuck did you find me? What? (laughs) Like, how do, do these pitches work? Do they? Who does it work on? Do you get business? So let me see if I'm following you. You're saying you posted a complaint on on the tutor, which is what tutor is for, yelling at brands and demanding satisfaction. <laughs> and somebody fished your name out of the toot stream and found you on LinkedIn, which is business tutor, and tried to offer their services to you as a marketing professional. Yes. <laughs> well, wow. First of all, Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Skills. Yeah. Like that's pretty good. You know, second of all, your tutor is scary to me. I've never would I engage with you on the tutor. Have you ever Ever. seen me on Twitter? I have a new Twitter, Um, by the way. That, well, that's what I figured. <laughs> like, you have like a, a million different tutors, so I it's do. interesting that they were able to track you down. Yeah, really. Uh, and for all the ingenuity that this person put into doing the, a, the, a good job, right? Like tracking you down, making the connection, and then making the introduction. This person forgot 
rule number one, which is don't be an asshole. <laughs> right? Because he's immediately like, oh, I saw you were having trouble. Don't worry. You're a dumb and I will fix it. <laughs> and it's just like, no, that's not what Tudor's for. <laughs> it's just it's just creepy, I think. Because they probably well, paid, right? Exactly. To message people in LinkedIn, you need to be at a certain level, you need to pay for that privilege. Especially to, to find somebody who is a friend of a friend of a friend and then go directly to them. I mean, why not just why not just tweet at her? Like that that's what I don't understand. Because it would be creepy to pitch somebody off of a tweet. Cause that's like really like a hard hard ass sell and so he probably thought you know if i do it in the business area then this will be better but by going to the business area you made it creepy because somehow you found me yeah 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 you located me and you typed up this very specific message about my issue and sent it off and you probably were proud with yourself you know what it was probably a robot I would be willing to bet. It was not a robot. You don't think it was a robot? I am going to look. <laughs> I am pulling it up right now. It was not a robot. I, I don't think it was a robot. I have gotten robot messages. Carrie, subject line, problems with MailChimp, question mark. Hi, Nikenji. <laughs> I wanted to reach out and introduce myself as I saw via Twitter today that you are having issues with MailChimp. Oh, I stopped reading. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that would be my in that. E that's my interaction with that email. Like I wanted to yeah, forget it. <laughs> Never start an email with I wanted to. Just do the thing. Okay, but but go ahead. But go ahead. I work for Active Campaign, and we are the leaders in email marketing automation. I speak with a lot of Mailchimp customers who are, at the very least, willing to have a ten-minute conversation with us just to see if it would make sense to evaluate further. Would you be open to setting up some time to connect? Best Ugh. marketing guy's name redacted. Business development representative, active campaign. Like what? The, there's got to be a proprietary buy-in automated sales flow for that, because okay. you you tutored at Mailchimp, you went into their leads generator and oh. it spit out a pre-written email at you across this thing, and it all connects it using the big data. And you're right, that makes it double creepy because. I believe you were even further removed from an actual human than I did before you started telling me that story. Let's let's br let's bring him on the pod. As a recovering marketer, all of us really, and some of us still, we're just in various states of recovery. Some of us are still active in our marketing, but it's really interesting to be able to see through that pretty interesting marketing automation happening there. That. I'm sure there is a real person and that the individual who wrote you is a real person, but I doubt very much that they sat down on LinkedIn and typed in your name. I think they probably sent 25 of those out last week just based on who tweeted at MailChimp. And since I'm not a marketing influencer, I'm guessing they're not going to find me, right? And they're not going to follow me because they'd be like, Animal Crossing picture, Animal Crossing picture, Animal Crossing picture, a swear word. MailChimp Animal Crossing picture. I, I think the general point though is like, don't do this. Stuff <laughs> <laughs> is like real creepy. I wanted to reach out because it turns out you you suck. You, <laughs> you the wrong message. <laughs> turns out you were yelling at MailChimp. Like you're you're an imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> I can solve this for you. <laughs> Let's go to you, Gabe. You got a topic this week. It is sixty days to the day 
since the uh, the last time I stood in a high school and taught a class. It has been 60 days since the lockdown for the coronavirus here in uh, Wisconsin, where I'm recording this. And it gave me pause to reflect today that we still don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> we took a pause, right? To, to okay, we definitely let this get out of hand. Let's pause. All right. Now we've waited 60 days. I guess maybe we should start thinking about this again. Like nobody <laughs> remembered to do the work. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's apropos of the fact that like you're teaching high school students who, if given a deadline, will do the work directly before the deadline. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, like most things, you you know, most things you give them six days and like they'll probably be okay. Probably work out, but I just, it's like we squandered 60 whole days where we could have been getting a plan together and, and showing some leadership and making sure that when we go back in the fall, that there's a back to go to. And like, instead, we are fighting about whether or not it's okay to want your haircut. <laughs> and I want my haircut. Don't get me wrong. You know what? This sounds like how when you're procrastinating, it's just easier to choose a thing that is nothing about the thing you actually have to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that, actually. This is exactly a procrastinator's situation. That's beautiful. So that's where I'm at these days. I wrote a sad poem about it. I'll probably put it on my blog. That's, that's all I got. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you both. I'm going to move into the, the main topic of this show. And I did a little creative writing to get this started. I want to start today with a story. So I was 22 the first time I was propositioned. I was working at the front desk of an athletic club. This was my first job after graduating from college. He was in his late 50s or early 60s, a former cop or something. He was really friendly at first, hanging out by the front desk, making small talk, asking about my schooling and what I wanted from life. Initially, I really appreciated these conversations. It was a respite from a long day of welcomes and goodbyes. After it was clear that we'd developed a pretty strong rapport, he made his move and asked me to come to his house sometime to watch a video with him. I told him I wasn't interested, but he was persistent. Seeing him come into the was nerve-wracking because it was basically my job to interact with him. He couldn't be avoided. He kept asking, but I sheepishly said no each time, inventing a million excuses to spare his feelings. I remained kind and deferential, and mercifully, he finally stopped asking, leaving an unavoidable awkwardness between us. He no longer stopped by the desk for a chat. He didn't ask me about my future, and he didn't participate in anything more than hi and goodbye. And for this, I was grateful. But now, some 13 years later, older and wiser, I wish I could go back and say to him directly, strongly, no old man, I'm not participating in your pyramid scheme. <laughs> not what you were expecting but today's topic on it'll probably be okay is multi-level marketing mlm companies or pyramid schemes as a disclaimer i'm going to use the term mlm and pyramid scheme interchangeably on the show today certainly those involved will take umbrage with this choice and to them i say i don't care it's my show <laughs> anyways it's easy to see why this man thought i was a good mark i was young impressionable and interacted with hundreds of people every day I would be the perfect person to have in his downline. 
And surely with me in the fold, his riches would start rolling in. As you guys know, I'm someone who's always been interested in communication, particularly interpersonal relationships. Communication was my major in college. And MLMs just seem like an egregious outlier to me. Those who participate force the rest of us to endure pressure-filled recruitments and party proposals, regardless of whether we are friends, family, people from high school, nearly forgotten former coworkers, anyone. Ignoring niceties and proper decorum and spinning tales of financial freedom, the ability to work whenever from anywhere, and trips to some tropical paradise. What they don't normally talk about, at least not right away, is the physical product. I think that's because the product doesn't matter. As P.T. Barnum said, a sucker is born every minute. And for these companies, suckers are the salesmen, the customers, and the products all rolled into one. There are MLMs for everything. Fat-burning coffee, candles, leggings, essential oils, sex toys, sex oils, and everything else you can imagine. And I asked with no clear answer, why? Why do people get involved in these predatory schemes? Why do they feel that this is the best path to fulfill their dreams? And why do we do this to ourselves? Put the most precious things we have, our time, our dreams, and our faith, along with a sizable financial investment, into these phony miracle products. I don't get it, and I actually don't understand my own reaction. I'm always amused and excited to watch it all unfold. I love watching the sunny product testimonials spoken with a nearly religious fervor. I love the braggadocio of a shiny new purchase, virtual parties, the hashtag boss babes, side hustles and entrepreneurs, and the smiley happy photos of families whose lives are about to begin anew. Having been a curious observer for years, I can now clearly see the desperation unmistakably perceptible just beneath the surface. I watch enraptured as the, the latest person I know begins to, casually and with an extreme lack of self-awareness, post things that insult any other vocation. I see them claim to make purchases with money from their side hustle while allegedly their team grows. And finally, after several months or maybe sometimes a year, I watch them give up and they always give up. So friends, today I appeal to you for your help. I'm fascinated by MLMs and I don't know why. (laughs) Wow. That was great. It it is interesting that the self-awareness that comes with being willing to question it like that, right? I can tell you that as a communications student, that is your holy grail, right? Like as a communicator, (laughs) when, when there is no product and there's not even a thing being bought or sold, there's just ideas and relationships. And how good you are at what you do, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's only communication, right? It's about reading the room and the guy and, And I made a note during your introductory piece about the guy from the athletic club. You are a captive audience. (laughs) That's an amazing mark, right? Like if I, if, and I say this about, (laughs) I say this about my students all the time. I love that they cannot leave the room. I will sit and talk to them until I am done. And even if the bell rings, it's totally okay for me to go, wait, I'm not done and make them (laughs) wait. Do they? It's about half. But (laughs) (laughs) the connection I'm making, though, is even though they are a captive audience, they don't know it. Because they are entertained, or at least that's what I tell myself, right? So that is a perfect, I don't know if you've ever seen the Steve Martin movie, uh, Leap of Faith. 
But I recommend it if you're into this sort of thing, because that's the story of a big time con man who is running a, a religious revival. And it's the it's not an MLM, but it, it is that sort of charisma and and swagger over all other things mm-hmm. that I think is so appealing in the MLM market, right? So that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking is that your fascination with it comes from a communication perspective. I think also, Gabe, I think Nick's fascination comes with the psychological aspects of it, too. So it's not just communication, but it's the ability for people in these businesses to convince themselves, do the mental gymnastics, which has to be some type of psychological syndrome or diagnosis (laughs) that you believe so strongly in this construct of reality that is, is it's it's forced on you almost. And if I've read, I just shared a link to this elbow blog where she tells her unique makeup story, which is another MLM. Yeah. And she, she describes in detail how the, the leaders of whatever hip term they give themselves, but essentially lever, leaders of the coven, they lambaste you into believing, oh, if you do 20 social media posts per week, then you're going to see results. And if you're not doing that, then therefore you aren't trying hard enough to see results. And if you do do that, then it's that you were not doing something else. And that's why you're not getting results. Right. And the idea yeah. that you have to spend money to to make money and suddenly you spend a thousand dollars and you haven't made a single sale and i think the communication aspects coupled with the whole (laughs) psychology of this insanity (laughs) i think that's what appeals to nick so let me ask both of you have you ever been recruited to an mlm have you had experience with being pitched or have you known people who became part of something like that i am so happy you asked (laughs) When I finished college, uh, I had an extra semester where I had to carry six credits for reasons that I don't necessarily even recall. I went to school for four and a half years because I needed that extra six credits in order to graduate. And one of them was a radio credit. And it turned out while I was at school for English writing, I, I fell in love with doing the radio, right? So I was doing radio broadcasts. I did a morning show. I did news reads. That's kind of where I got my foot in for journalism as I got into I got into do it reading the news there and reporting. And I, I did some TV packages for the cable station. So when I got out of school, I was like, here I am. I, I guess I'll be a house painter forever. <laughs> and so I looked for a job and I looked for a job and and eventually I found my way to a little radio station and their marketing director calls me up and he says, we're looking for young guys like you. And I was like, nice. I love the radio. Do you need to hear broadcast tape? He's like, yeah, yeah. So I brought him my broadcast tape and I put, you know, and he sat me down and I saw he took the tape. He didn't even look at it. He set it on the table and he's like, we need, we, I'm, I don't, just so we're clear. I work for a company that does the marketing for the radio station and there's chances you'll get on the air, but this is how radio works and this is what it needs to be. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's cool. And like, so you're going to put me on the sales force and then eventually I'll like, you know, be like a producer. And he's like, sure. So here's what I need to do. (laughs) Sure. Come on out and I'll get you set up with all the stuff you need to really go out there and, and sell the heck out of my radio. It's a great product. So I ended up about three days later 
having sunk in two days of training into paid or unpaid unpaid of course unpaid training i was fresh out of college so i didn't know that you didn't do that and the training was all about how to file radio ads with this guy so that he could place them with the radio station and there were there were four of us and like the four of us he finally left us he's like you can work here you can work out of home whatever you want to do but what he didn't count on was the four of us would keep coming in and working together and started putting things together so the third day i'm there and there's a guy he's got a he's got a, a lawyer on uh, a lead that is really working it's really hot and he's gonna sell some airtime to this lawyer and he's like but i need the i need the perfect pitch i need a a really good script and i was like well i'm i'm i can write you a script so i sat down and i wrote the script and it was it was a great script i recorded some samples for the sales guy to have it like to hear it so that he could take it in and pitch it on his little tape deck right and so i recorded a bunch of them and they were they were pretty good and two days later i heard that ad on the radio being voiced by the marketing guy <laughs> <laughs> and i never went back and that's when all the lights went on i was like oh my Good god for you oh my god so i called him up i said i'll drop the stuff off i don't need your bumper stickers uh i should be being paid for that work and i appreciate your time and effort and that was that was uh, the la- first and only time i got suckered in to a what i think was an mlm or maybe just bad business arrangement yeah but either way like like he was there to get more people to put ads into his paper and we could go out and get more people so it really was ponzi schemish yeah it was not the last time i would be suckered into cult-like behavior but that <laughs> is a different subject yeah. what about you nikenji I am pretty sure my mother was involved in an MLM way, way back. This is like the 90s, back when Symmetry was a thing, which is like nutrition supplements. I don't even know that they're still around and they're, they're the same iteration anymore. She got in and she got out pretty quickly. Like, it just wasn't her thing. So thankfully, there wasn't like anything overbearing from that memory. I just remember there being a lot of pills that purported to do all these different healthy, <laughs> nutritious yep. things. Yeah, yep, uh, pretty much. And then uh, I think so. one of my friends, one of my best friends in Barbados approached me about whether or not I wanted like a business opportunity, blah, blah, blah. And I was able to shut that down pretty seamlessly. But I didn't realize it was an MLM until like years later. And I'm like, oh, crap, because Amway is an MLM, and at the time, it looked pretty legit. I just couldn't be bothered with the stuff. (laughs) So I dodged that bullet. One of the things that I kind of mentioned in my little intro that that annoy me the most is, like, the pitches that I've gotten in my life are always, like, Aren't you tired of working for someone else's happiness? Aren't you tired of not being your own boss? And that's kind of what I meant when I said, in in what other sense could you just insult someone you know is working arrangement? <laughs> one of the biggest choices they've made in their lives? Like, like, <laughs> in, in, like, what if I was just like, Gabe, you know, like, being a teacher sucks. Like, you should do something else. Like, you <laughs> but like, these people, <laughs> these people think it's part of the pitch. It's exactly back where Nikenji started us with, with her thing about MailChimp, right? 
Like right. yes, the presumption, yeah. the presumption that you are not happy at your job is usually a pretty safe bet in America. But <laughs> but the presumption that you would be much happier working for yourself is is a bigger leap, right? Like I know a lot of people who don't want to consider themselves entrepreneurs but still hate their job and would sure. like more freedom. <laughs> so <laughs> So, so yeah. So my objection, I guess, to that approach is that they haven't narrowed the funnel enough yet. <laughs> well, and even so, like yeah. you know, I mean, my definition of an entrepreneur is someone that like invents a product and then goes to try to sell it. It's not like someone who found out about this product and bought into it. These people try to claim that they're entrepreneurs, but I don't agree with that or believe that. Sure, we're going to open steak and shakes across the world. And here's the thing. You don't even need to own the steak and shakes. But that's the thing. There's usually no accountability. And then there's no like financial disclosure. And just observing Reddit and the universe of MLMs that people hate, love to hate on, on, on Reddit. People go into creating a business in an MLM without even adding up how much they've spent and how much they've made, which is like a basic business function that you (laughs) must always be aware of. (laughs) And then people get stuck in the sunk cost fallacy, which is like, well, I spent a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand and one dollars is just around the corner. If only I do this particular seminar. And that brings me to my question, Nick and Gabe. Mm -hmm. Why are we immune to MLMs? Oh, How does that cute. come to be? <laughs> I, I mean, I wonder if it's just like a healthy level of skepticism. I think an open mind and a healthy level of skepticism is what keeps us safe, maybe. I think that's part of it. But I also think, uh, especially, and I have this on my notes for, for you, Nick, I think a part of what why you're fascinated with them is part of what protects you from them. You are generally <laughs> the most genuine, authentic person I know. You are unwilling to have a bullshit conversation that you're not going to call bullshit on. And you <laughs> you want that moment to be a learning opportunity for you and the person you're talking to. Like, and and that I mean that as a compliment. Like, no, I know you're you're, to- you're totally right. You you can't get caught in a marketing scheme because you're gonna be like, I don't know, that sounds too good to be true. Here's seven reasons why, and don't you think you're kind of a dick for asking? And then the person goes, Well, you don't have to be a jerk about it. And you're like, I'm not. I'm just reading this. I'm reading the script back to you, bud. <laughs> I'm just trying to have a conversation here. That's why some people a don't get you, but also b like why you don't fall for that because you are you are going to examine the the hand waving that occurs that I think is necessary for MLMs to be successful. Uh, a successful MLM is a smug and self assured individual on the outside, and they mm-hmm. have a really good ability to hand wave and de-escalate your concerns, right? If you said, yeah, but what if I lose all my money? And they say, yeah, you might, but you're not going to look at this car. Like, (laughs) you would never fall for that, Nick, but you'd be amazed how many people would see the guy's arm head over to the left and point at a red car and go, yeah, but look at this car and not (laughs) even see the the right hand digging into their wallet while they take it, right? It's all a grift. 
your desire to be genuine and confront life as you see it, I think is an asset in this case, in in most cases, but in this case in particular. (laughs) So a good bullshit meter, I would also add (laughs) part of MLMs is that there's a cult psychology behind these things. And it's like, you don't get to ask questions or like wonder out loud about what's going on. That's quickly shut down. It's pretty authoritarianist. Or is that the word? Yeah. Whatever the word is. Yeah. And it's like yeah. I I don't do well in these environments because I, I I must be able to question things, and if I can't question things, I'm very suspicious. <laughs> well, and it's a love of learning too, right? <laughs> You're a lifelong learner, and you are interested in understanding how this works and why this works, and doing science exactly. to figure it out. You don't even want to read a book about it. You want to do the science and see the math and go, oh yeah. <laughs> X equals Y equals B and words mean things. I get it. <laughs> I do. I do think it's interesting though. You get talked into doing something like this. Like you get talked into it in a way that like you're willing to sell out your friends and your family and the people even that you have soft ties to. So I almost wonder like, is it, is it just that these people get suckered into these pressure filled pitches and then they sign up for it and then they then they move into the sunk cost fallacy where it's like well now i already spent 800 dollars on this shit so i might as well go and talk to the people that i know about this or like do these people really believe in these products it's the brainwashing factor from the cult by the time you get to the point of being 800 dollars in you must believe the product's good or otherwise your entire belief system will come crashing down and your brain will not allow you to let your belief system come crashing down because that's all that's supporting you right now. And, and I think there are people for whom the product is more important to them than the MLM part of it. I'm thinking specifically of stuff like like Sensi, right? Mm-hmm. You know. You can't. I haven't heard that one. Sensi S S C E N T S Y. They are a. They're they're like stinky wax burners, right? But they have. They have really good marketing that comes with it. Like they have a collectability and they have availability and they've invented scarcity. So it's MLM, in the sense that it's something you can only get from people who are willing to throw parties and at at their friends. But the experiences I've had buying Sensi have been pleasant ones. My Sensi lady is a very nice lady and she knows what I like and she will send me samples and I will occasionally buy them because I like my house to stink good. And she genuinely likes that too. Like she likes the house to stink good. There are many, many times in my life where I have bought what I call a obligatory tchotchke. Oh, okay. I'll take the $5 bottle opener. Yeah. Okay. Get out of here, friend. Like, I'm sad for you. Like, the pity purchase is a thing. It doesn't happen with the Sensi, but it certainly it happens with high school pizza sales. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? right. And, and I have a standing rule at school. I just tell the kids, I can't buy your product because if I buy anybody's product, I will spend all my money all day long yeah. buying product. But, like, in the real world, if your sister comes to you and says, Hey, will you throw a Tupperware party at my house? You have no choice but to say no, but I'll 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 buy some Tupperware, I guess. But what's the difference then? You know, and when you're using uh, sales techniques, 
Um, what's the difference between being sold a product by your sister in a Macy's and being sold a product by your sister at a Tupperware party? Um, my sister is not using me to sell to my friends at Macy's. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the MLM part, right? Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I mean, there's a whole come and go thing, but like the, it's the networking oh, that defines, yeah. right. That's the networking at the MLM level that really is, I think, and Nick, you hinted at this a little bit, like is the part that leaves the worst taste in my mouth. Right. Since he's okay. Tupperware, fine. Amway. I don't know. I, I don't have need hairbrushes, but whatever. Like it, but the, the idea that you're going to lean on my friend's because you have to have 12 parties a year or Lula Roe is going to take away your license is uncomfortable for me. Yeah. The idea that friendship is something that you choose and it's something that most of us don't take lightly. And then the fact that like these people are willing to kind of cloud that with this sales pitch, but like they're, they're so fervent in a way that like, it's not like this product is just something that they're telling you about because they're going to make money off it. They're, they're like kind of pitching it as, Oh, this product is going to change your life in like these really significant ways. Like, I don't know. There's just something so ugly about that to me. It's the predatory nature and the lack of respect for the sanctity of relationships. And that gets back yes. at the genuineness and the marketer inside of the three of us and why we couldn't succeed together in marketing was because we would stand on the hill of authenticity and, yeah. and, and, and say, I will not misrepresent the beautiful truth that we've found here. And yeah. that's not how marketing always can be done, right? It's hard to be an authentic marketer. <laughs> That's the part that that you and I can't wrap our head around, that that there isn't a beautiful truth to be found. You are motivated by authenticity and genuineness in your marketing. And there is there is really very little room for that when I need to sell this to you and you need to sell this to all of your friends <laughs> or uh, or old or old Gil's going to take a bath this month. <laughs> The question I asked was genuine, and the answer that you just came upon, I think, really is enlightening to me. Like, yeah, like, this is inauthentic, and that bothers me. It, it's not just about the product. It's about the relationship, and they're trying to confuse those two things in a way that makes you make a purchase. And, like, I hate that. Like, it sucks. Or worse yet, makes you into their salesman. <laughs> Actually, in most cases, they don't want you to buy the product. They want you to sign up to be in their downline. That's what they want. They want they want your social network to be a part of what helps make them money. So my question is, how is this legal? Oh. Why is it illegal? I mean, in some cases, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, that's a perfect time to bring up the podcast, The Dream, which which goes deep into MLMs and kind of talks about how the leaders in that industry have found a way to work their way into connection with power almost since the 1950s. So they, they've just managed to skirt the law 
in a way that allows them to keep operating, even though we all know they're not legitimate. You know, it's just like everything else in America. Yeah, I think that's I mean, I think that's really the case is it is illegal to get caught running an MLM. (laughs) But don't worry, you you will never get caught. I'm going to talk about what we learned today, because I think we learned some important things. And and I really do feel like today's episode was cathartic for me. So number one of the three things we learned, stupid people love nice cars. And number two thing we learned is that Gabe's house stinks good. (laughs) Especially especially when his sense order comes up. And my big takeaway is my interest in MLMs is tied to my interest in the lack of the sanctity of the relationships that the MLM people practice when they're pitching. And also just like the fact that authenticity is very important to me. And it's clear to me that these people aren't being authentic. It's interesting to me to see people being inauthentic and then seeing other people buy into that inauthenticity. Because for all of us, I, I know this is true, for what we all do, authenticity is super important and that it's what we strive for. And so it it makes sense when people are using the same tools that we use, but using them in the wrong way, that would really rub me the wrong way and capture my interest. So I I definitely feel like you you guys helped me solve my conundrum today. (laughs) And even if we didn't. It will probably be. And the music swells and we're out. Nice work.